Again. If you have your Bibles this morning, open them to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We are beginning our series in Colossians here, entitled Christ Above All. Christ Above All. If you're using the Bibles there in the rows, it's page 983, page 983. Those of you who signed up for the scripture journals, which is just Colossians on one side and then space to uh, write notes. Those have been handed out. Uh, if you are still interested in one, talk to me or Pastor James. We can still order you one and uh, to take notes as we make our way through the book of Colossians. Just a couple other things to mention this morning during Sunday school. Uh, we're excited. Uh, Max Litweiler is going to share about an opportunity that he has over spring break to take a mission trip. And so Max will be sharing uh, about that. And so please Stick around for that to hear uh, what Max is going to have the opportunity to do. And then uh, for the month of January, uh, coming up in several weeks, is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. And so for the month of January, we're going to be collecting our baby bottle offering. And some of you got a head start already. Uh, this is heavy already. <laughs> uh, but the, the baby bottle will be up here uh, or in this vicinity, you'll see it. And uh, we'll be collecting an offering for Alternatives Pregnancy Center. Alternatives Pregnancy Center is based in Waterloo, but they have an outreach center in Waverly. Uh, and they assist mothers and families um, and with things in regard to baby, pregnancy. Uh, there's education, there's training, teaching them about that. Uh, but their main goal is to help mothers choose life. Um, to choose life, to not abort these children, but to see them come into this world. And then perhaps for adoption or what they really like is to equip the mother and Lord willing, the father to care for the child. And so uh, all the, the money will go towards them and resources that they have. So if you want to give change, you can write a check out, make it out to the church, but make it clear that it's for uh, the, the baby bottle offering and we will get it to them. So that'll be for the month of January. If you found your way to Colossians chapter 1, we're going to pray, and then we will look here at the first two verses in Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come together, and Lord, to worship. Now we've done this faithfully for over 150 years here. Lord, but more recently, due to circumstances and your blessing, Lord, to be in two services, to divide our body, Lord, it was necessary, but now to be back together, Lord, is a glorious thing. You have called us together as brothers and sisters in Christ, part of this church family, to be together. And I'm thankful that we can be today. And Lord, as we begin our time in the book of Colossians, may we truly see that Christ is above all, that he is sufficient and supreme in every aspect of our lives. That begins with our very identity and who we are. Lord, help us now as we come to your word to heed it, to listen, to take it, and to apply it to our lives the help of your spirit, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, 
an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. As we come to this book and as we begin our time here, it's a epistle of Paul. It's a letter written by Paul. It's probably one of the ones you're more familiar with. Right? This is our comfort zone uh, for our time, what we're, in a sense, used to the most, right? These New Testament letters. And Colossians is no different. But as we're used to them, we can often skip over these introductory remarks. These first two verses, which is not remarkably out of the ordinary than any of other of Paul's letters. He introduces himself, one of his co-workers, and he writes greetings to who he is writing to. Pretty normal, pretty standard. But yet, as we take a look at what Paul says and these words that he uses to describe himself and the believers in Colossae and his co-workers, he's revealing a truth that is so very important for us. Today, as we come back together for as long as we can, <laughs> and that's a good problem to have. You realize that. Uh, to be crammed in here, uh, showing deference to one another, giving space, we understand that. But to be together, coming back together, and maybe learning or seeing some folks you haven't seen from that other service, right? The first service. Or those, you know, people from the second service who are lazy and sleep in, you know. <laughs> and I think it was appropriate that we are having name tag Sunday, right? Oh, that's who you are. Yeah, no. To be back together, seeing people. And as we write our names on these name tags, it's a simple thing. It's a, it's a good thing to do to remind ourselves, oh, yeah, that's who that is. If you maybe don't visit with somebody all that often. But you think, you write out a name tag and you say, hello, my name is Greg or Trent or Tom or Brian or Megan or Macklin, right? What's all involved in that name? It's an identity. That's who you are. And so much of who we are is wrapped up into our name, our, ourselves. Some of you may really like your name. Some of you are like, yeah, it's my name. Some of you may not like your name. I think at some points in the teenage years, all of us are like, why did my mom and dad name me this, right? <laughs> why? But as we think of names and identity, who we are, what we do, as we come to Colossians and this letter by, by Paul, we see that our identity is far more than just our name. And it's far more than what we do as an occupation or where we live. But truly, our identity, who we are, is wrapped up in Christ. And Paul demonstrates this very subtly in these first two verses. And our big idea this morning is this, is that those who are in Christ, and you're going to hear that phrase a lot through the study in Colossians, in Christ, meaning you are united with Christ, you have a union with Christ, i.e. you are a believer. Those who are in Christ are part of a new family whose identity shapes who they are. Where does this new identity come from? What's it like? Are there others with the same identity? And in these few opening verses, Paul introduces himself, 
his coworker, and greets his audience. And while doing all of this, he wraps in how Christ unites them all as family. So let's look how Christ does this and what it means for us today. Not in Colossae, but at Horton Baptist Church. How as we are coming together today, that we can call each other brother and sister, that we are in Christ, that we are part of the same family. So we first start off with this. Our identity comes from God. Our identity comes from God. As, as Paul is writing here, he introduces himself in the normal fashion. Right off the bat, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, our Christ Jesus, by the will of God. Paul introduces himself to his audience. Now, some background here that will be made, uh, be made known through the letter. Paul has never been to Colossae. He's never been to this town. He's never visited this church. This church is in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. It's 100 miles or so inland from the coast. It's near Laodicea. And during the first century, Laodicea, the same Laodicea from Revelation 1 and 2, the same Laodicea mentioned here in Paul's writing, is becoming the more popular, the more populous town. It is growing in influence, in numbers, in trade, while Colossae is, is dwindling. It's, it's, it's slowly fading. And actually, there's an earthquake that happened around 60, 61 AD that really did the city in, that it never recovered from. And it was, in a sense, lost to history. But Paul's never been to Colossae, but he knows about this church. He didn't plant the church, but one of his co-workers, Epaphras, who we'll hear uh, about several times, planted the church. He's heard of their faith and their faithfulness towards God. So Paul is writing to them. Even though he's never met them, he's never been there, he can still write to them as somebody who has a relationship with them. Why? Because his identity comes from God. He says, I'm Paul, an apostle. An apostle. The simplest form of this word is messenger. But here we understand the weight that this word carries. It's more than just a simple messenger. Like you're going to tell someone something. An apostle, in the New Testament sense of the word, in the formal sense, is one who was officially sent by God, who spent time with Jesus to bear a special weight and authority for the preaching of the gospel. So you have the disciples who were alive with Christ, who spent time with them. They became apostles, minus Judas. <laughs> and then Paul was added to that. As Paul was on the road to Damascus and and saw Jesus, and most people think Jesus. Uh, Paul spent time with Jesus in the wilderness, and he was commissioned by God specially to go to the Gentiles to preach the gospel. He is an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's not a messenger on his own accord, but he is one who is sent, who is sending the message of Jesus. Paul is not sharing his ideas. He's not sharing what he thinks is right, but he's speaking on behalf of Christ. This is who he is. But we see where this identity comes from. Paul didn't one day decide, I'm going to do this. In fact, if you remember the history of Paul, 
Paul would have been the last person to sign up to do this. Paul didn't want to be a messenger of God. Paul wanted to kill the messengers of God. In Acts chapter 9, we read of his conversion on the road to Damascus. Now, many of you have amazing testimonies, how God worked in different ways to draw you to himself, different people that he put in your life, ways in which you heard the gospel and you trusted Christ. Paul's is one of those, like, Hollywood conversion stories. Not all of us have those. Every conversion is amazing. But Paul's is pretty amazing. (laughs) He's on the road to Damascus. He has letters from the chief priests to arrest Christians. He is literally going to a city to arrest people so they'd be tried and ultimately probably put to death. He is an enemy of God. And as he is walking on the road to Damascus, a light appears and he hears these words, right? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's Jesus. And Paul is is struck blind for three days. He is sent to a house of a man named Ananias. Ananias, by faith, trusts God that this man's not going to arrest him. And after three days, the scales come off. And Paul immediately learns, teaches, preaches, and is sent by God. Paul is an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Paul did not choose to be an apostle, in a sense, but God intervened and saved him. And through God's work, God gives Paul a new identity. He stops being a persecutor of the faith and being a messenger of the faith. Our identity in Christ has its source in God. None of us can save ourselves. None of us can do enough good works to earn our salvation. None of us say, you know what? God, you need me. God does not need you. What do we know about our identity without Jesus? Ephesians 2, 1 through 4. But you are by nature children of wrath. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. Jesus calls the unbelievers in the Gospels sons of the devil. We are lost. We are in darkness. We are God's enemies. That is who we are without Jesus. That is our identity. We are enemies of God. We are dead. We are sinners. We are on our way to hell. But as God intervenes in our life through the glorious Gospel of Jesus Christ, and our eyes are opened to the reality of our sin and our need to trust in Jesus, and we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we receive a new identity, right? We go from enemies to sons and daughters. We go from dead to being alive. (laughs) We go from being in darkness to being in light. And how does this transaction happen? Is it by our own efforts, by our own Ability? No, it happens because God takes us from one to the other through the blood of Jesus Christ. Through the faith that we have in Christ, 
We are saved. Our identity comes from God. Comes from God. Just as Paul was an enemy of God, and through God's will, he saves him, he becomes an apostle of Jesus Christ. The various people that make up the church all enter into it the same way. You and I become brothers and sisters in Christ the very same way, whether we are young or old. It's through the will of God, by the blood of Jesus Christ. No one has a foot up on anyone else. It's only by God's saving grace that we can be in Christ. The way that we can become parts of the family of God is the same way for everyone. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ. The fact that he truly has paid it all. So our identity comes from God. And our identity, secondly, brings new family. Paul's an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And then he, he introduces Timothy, our brother. Timothy is a familiar character to us from the New Testament. He was a young man that Paul met on his journey in, in Ephesus. If you remember, Timothy uh, was a, a son, his son of a Jewish mother and grandmother, believing Jews. But his father was a Greek. And so as Paul met him, Paul knew that their ministry would carry them to areas in which there would be Jews speaking synagogues. And so as we read recently in the book of Acts in Sunday school, Paul has Timothy circumcised, not on account of earning his salvation, but as an account of representing himself to the Jews and not causing them to this to be a stumbling block. But Timothy is one of his, his fellow workers. In fact, what does Paul call Timothy? His son in the faith. There's a close-knitted relationship there with Timothy. Timothy is with Paul right now. Paul is in prison. This is one of the prison epistles. And so Paul introduces himself and Timothy, our brother. Now, how often do you and I glance over that? Okay, Timothy, our brother, and then we move on. But think about that. Just as these believers have never met Paul, they've never met Timothy. But yet, Timothy is called their brother. And that article there, the our, it could be translated as the brother, but in the context, it, it, context, it fits better to translate it like the ESV does as, as our, meaning it's a collective, he is our brother. He's my brother and he's your brother, even though you've never met him. Right. We use that term today, brother, often in an endearing way. You're my brother. <laughs> Not in a physical sense, but in a relational sense that you and another individual are close enough to where you could be like that. There's an affection, there's an a care, there's a love, there's a concern that we would call them brother. That familial language is all over the New Testament. And here, Timothy is called our brother. Our identity brings new family. I have one sister. My sister was six years older. She still is six years older than I am. <laughs> Man, <laughs> she gets older and I get older. It's crazy how that works. Um, she's six years older than I am. 
the fact that there was a, a decent age gap there, and her uh, being a girl and me being a boy, we really almost kind of lived two separate childhoods, right? When I was younger, she was already into junior high and high school, and she was doing her things, and I was doing my things. I, I never got hand-me-downs from my sister. <laughs> I got new boy clothes all the time. <laughs> and so it was almost as if I was an only child. As I got into junior high and high school, she was off to college, just me at home, and that's just how it was. Carrie has the, the, the same sort of experience as well, just through God's sovereignty, how it worked itself out. But I remember in high school, after I trusted Christ as my Savior, spending a lot of time with my, my good friend and his family. There were, there were four kids in his family, and they're all ages closer together. It's like, this is awesome. This is chaos and craziness, and there's a lot more fights, but this is fun. <laughs> And so you might say, oh, I wish I had a brother. I wish I had a sister. We're in that age in our family right now with our kids, especially with Ezra. I don't want sisters. Well, it's what God thought you needed. <laughs> I'm sure they say we don't want our brother sometimes too. <laughs> but as we take a step back and think of not only our blood relatives, but we think of our spiritual family. You may have one or two siblings. You may have no siblings. All your kids might be grown and out of the house. You might not have your parents anymore. Your family relationships might be difficult and strained. But when you trust in Christ as your Savior, God brings you new family. And this family is built on blood, not physical blood, but the blood of Jesus Christ. You have brothers and sisters in Christ. You have people who have been redeemed just like you have. And here in our local body, our local church, we have our own church family. We have brothers and sisters in Christ. We have older brothers and younger brothers, older sisters and younger sisters. There is a wealth of experience and knowledge and wisdom through the generations. There's the the, the sage advice of the older generations and the ignorant, exuberant excitement and energy of the younger generations. And it's beautiful how God puts that together. And though you may not have physical family around, we have a church family. These attachments of family are the most basic and universal in our lives. And here is someone that the Colossians have never met, but he is their brother. And in being their brother, there is shared love, service, accountability, and trust. One of the great and important aspects of being in Christ is that you are not alone. You are not alone. And we need to hear that. Because when things get difficult, when life is dark, when all your days are like the gray days we've been having, remember, Christ is with you. But not only Christ, but your sisters and brothers, your church family. When we are in Christ, we are sons and daughters. We have brothers and sisters. We have an inheritance. We're a child of the King. Yes, our faith is a personal faith in Jesus Christ, but this personal faith is lived out corporately and communally in our local church. There's no lone rangers allowed. And that's harder for some of us in the than others of us, because some of us are wired that way to go it alone more often. 
but don't let yourself be overwhelmed with that. Not that everybody knows everything about everybody, <laughs> but yet we can go to one another and say, hey, can you pray with me about this? Can you help me with this? Can I use your truck? Can I use your chainsaw? Hey, I need you to make some cookies for something. Thanks for that meal. We're doing all right. Thanks for checking in. Those are ways in which we love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ because we are family. Timothy, our brother, Paul writes. As we look around, we can see our brothers and sisters here. And all of that is because of our identity in Jesus. Our identity in Jesus. Number three, our identity changes our position. So our identity in Christ, the fact that we are Christians, it comes from God. Secondly, our identity brings new family. And thirdly, our identity changes our position. He says to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ. So he's, he's writing to the church, but he uses some specific descriptors. To the saints and faithful brothers. So again here we have this idea of the family aspect. Brothers in Christ. These believers that he's writing to are in Christ. They're brothers. Brothers and sisters, right? It's this term that encompasses everybody. But look at how Paul describes them. They are saints. Now that term saints has several different understandings in our modern world today. Often, it's associated with the idea of somebody who is extra holy, or extra perfect, a goody two-shoes, right? Almost in a sar sarcastic sense. Well, stop being such a saint, right? Be a normal sinner like everybody else. <laughs> if you come from a certain background of Roman Catholicism, the idea of a saint is one who is venerated normally after their death. And they become a saint through the process of eyewitness testimony of specific miracles accomplished by that person. That to be verified by several witnesses and specific what the miracle was, that's the process of becoming a saint. And if you become a saint, then people can pray to you as, in a sense, uh, a go-between between God. Right? In a Roman Catholic sense, that's a it's a basic idea of what a saint is. Now, there's a lot more nuance to it, I'm sure. But as we think of saint here, it's not the sarcastic, too good for something sense, and it's definitely not those who are venerated in, in, a, in a wrong way sense, but the saints are those who are set apart, who are holy. And how does one become holy? One becomes holy through washing, through cleansing, through being declared righteous. In the Old Testament, things were set apart as a sacrifice. They were holy through the sacrificial system, through the, the blood of, of goats and bulls and rams. But here, now in the New Testament, as we're going to celebrate in just a few moments, we are set apart and made holy through the blood of Christ. These saints are those who are set apart. You, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, are a saint. Not because your mama said so, 
but because of the blood of Jesus. You're a saint. You've been set apart. It applies to normal, everyday believers. Even though you fail and you sin and you have bad attitudes and sometimes your anger comes out and, and whatever it is, if you put your faith and trust in Christ, you are a saint. Your position is a holy one before God. And you say, well, I don't know about that. I still mess up a lot. Yeah, I do too. But do you know who else Paul calls saints in the New Testament? The church in Corinth. And man, did they have issues. <laughs> All of us do. We are saints. We are set apart for God. We are not far from Him, but we are near Him. Our position changes, and we are faithful brothers. And being a saint comes with the call to faithfulness. Paul's readers are to be faithful as they are faithful. In addressing them, Paul reminds them of their position, that they are saints, they are set apart, and for them to continue on being faithful. Keep walking as you've been called, he says. And as we read of the Colossians' position and saints and faithful brothers, it reminds them and us of what we are with Christ and without Christ. Without Christ, we are not saints, but we are sinners. Without Christ, we are not faithful, but faithless. Without Christ, we are far from Him, but with Christ, we've been brought near to Him. But through Christ, we are saints and faithful brothers. We have a change of position. What an identity shift. What's a change that we go from being faithless and sinful to being near faithful brothers who are called saints. As Paul begins his letter, he's going to address several different things in this writing. But he begins very subtly by remembering and reminding his readers what God has done in saving them. The family that God has given them through their faith in Christ and the fact that he has completely changed their position. That they are saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. This is important because this idea of who they are in Christ will undergird the argument that Paul makes and that we need to hear. The fact that you are a Christian changes everything about how you live your life. It may not change what you do, but it definitely changes how you do it. There may be sins you need to stop doing, but the basic aspects of our life may not change. You're going to continue being a husband and a wife and a mother and a father and a, a, a son or a daughter or a friend or a church member. Those things don't change, but how you live your life in them does because you are in Christ. And he concludes his opening remarks with his classic grace and peace, right? Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We have the the, the grace idea and the peace idea, kind of the merging of the Greek and the, uh, the uh, Jewish thought. Grace and peace from God our Father. He is the one who extends those things. 
So as Paul writes to the Colossians concerning the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ, he brings, by way of his introduction, a reminder of who they are in Christ. And though he's never met them, how he can have a connection with them. Have you ever met somebody you've never contacted or communicated with before, but they're a believer and you have an instant connection? It's because we are in Christ together. Because by the will of God, he saved us, he's given us new family, and he's put us in a position that is far different than we are without Christ. He brings through this introduction, he reminds us of who they are in Christ and why that makes all the difference. God saves us. He welcomes us to his family and he positions us as saints and faithful brothers and sisters. So the question for you this morning as we begin our journey through Colossians and the supremacy of Christ above all, the question is simple. Are you in Christ or are you far from him? Have you put your faith and trust in Christ, repented of your sin, been welcomed with open arms into the family of God. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the reminders from it and what it means for us. Lord, we pray that you would help us live out our new identity as believers in Jesus. Lord, and as we do this, that you would help us see how our lives change in every aspect. I pray for those here this morning who may not know Christ as their Savior. Lord, that they would inspect their own hearts to see if they are truly in Christ, that they have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of your beloved Son. Lord, I pray that you would draw them to yourself today, show them their need, that they would respond in faith. Lord, that we would welcome a new brother or sister in Christ to our family. We thank you for all that we have because of Jesus. We pray in his name.